Hi, Pastor Rob here from City East Church and MTL Ministries. What you hold is true. Is it really truth? Will what you believe get you through on Judgment Day? Are you keeping to the pattern of sound teaching held out in Scripture? In this series, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, I intend to deliver messages that check the solidness of our Christian foundation so as to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to us as Christ's ambassadors on this earth. Okay, so Romans 6, verses 4 to 5, it says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. Isn't that a, isn't that a wonderful promise? That if we unite ourselves with him in his death, he will unite us with him in his life and we will have a new life in Christ. This is the greatest hope we have of our future and should be the major point of reflection for the coming year. That we are in him and we are dead to the world and alive in Christ and Christ alone. That is the true sign of what a true Christian is. So when you open your eyes, you're opening your eyes, all you see is Jesus and you live through Jesus in your life. And so therefore you become like Jesus to many people. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying you will become, you know, God. You will be like Jesus on the planet. And that's why Jesus died on the cross, was raised from the dead, went to the Father, sent his Holy Spirit. Why? Because he multiplied himself on the planet. Now instead of having one Jesus here, we have millions of people who could be like Jesus to so many more people. And human history could then continue. He didn't have to finish it then and no more people would be born back then. If Because he did that, now human history could continue going. And uh, according to how well we live through Christ, as, as the church could live through Christ, will be how good the planet will be. So in a sense a lot of the problems that we see on the planet are a direct result of the church not fulfilling what they're supposed to fulfill, not being who they are supposed to be, not, re- not representing Christ as they should in this world. Yeah. And therefore we have wars and we have you know, um, horrible atrocities taking place and the entire country is just caught up in corruption and, and greed and, and uh, letting their people die and and, you know, the church is standing back in, in, a lot of, in a lot of places, you know, and don't do what they should do. So, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And that's what I want you to keep in mind for this year, that you live this new life that Jesus died to give us. Christ our Lord was raised to life through the glory of the Father, and we too have been raised from the dead through baptism so that we can live a new life. So this year, set your sights on living this new life in Christ. Okay, let's pray for this. Lord, I just pray that right now that you speak through me, you help me to live this sermon that will just touch all our hearts and move us to live this new life in you and that we could live it to the full. And I pray this in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Just about this series, it's uh, called Truth, Judgment and Eternity. It's a mutually compatible series with the Uncovering Religion series. And it's for, for our personal growth as Christians in the things of God. And it's also to prepare us for the judgment and for eternal life in heaven. And I think that's an important thing. I think that should be the main 
thrust of every pastor's preaching is prepare the people for the coming judgment. Because we don't know, you know, you, you can look at if just say you're a pastor of a congregation of a thousand people and you look at how many of those people do you think, you know, you, you could think, well, maybe one of them won't make it till next week. Maybe this week is the final week that they're going to be on earth. And you look at it and you think, well, maybe my message should be pretty well focused on making sure that person gets into heaven. And too much time is spent on superfluous things. Too little time is spent on the things that really matter in church. And that wants, that's my thrust of this whole series, is to focus on the things that matter in church. The things that matter to each and every one of us as Christians and, and that will ensure that we get the salvation that he promised us. And contrary to what people say, is they, there's a, this philosophy of once saved, always saved. Once you confess Christ, you're saved and there's no chance of losing your salvation. That is not so. That is not biblically accurate. If that was the case, why did the, the New Testament writers continually tell them to stop living these wretched lives? Every book of the Bible you read, they're, they're constantly coming against the corruption in the church. That's one of the main thrusts of the New Testament. And that's because they knew that you keep living like this, you're going to lose your place in heaven. You can't live like that and then call yourself a Christian. You can't represent Christ and, and basically by your conduct make Christ look so bad. So the thrust of the New Testament was to rebuke these Christian churches that weren't living the way they should live. And if you also read um, in the book of Revelation, which I plan to do a series on through this year, the, the seven churches, five of them were rebuked for their conduct, you know, and pretty harshly, saying, if you don't change, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth, meaning destroy you. You know, so that's, that's proof that once saved, always saved philosophy doesn't work. It's a 20th century mind, mindset. And what it is, it's called seeker-sensitive salvation, meaning it's really easy for you to come to Christ. Come to Christ and that's it. You're saved. And just attend church from now on. But that is not the truth. Okay, my intention today is to preach a message which is relative and significant in the life of this church and in, in each of our lives personally. My intention is to help us all to realign ourselves with Christ and with what our purpose in Christ really is. Uh, this new year is, in my opinion, is significant in the life of this church for a few reasons. One is we turn one-year-old. So we're not, we're not uh, counting our age in months anymore. <laughs> uh, two is we plan to move into a building and go public, as it were. So we're like um, entering a stock market. No. <laughs> a float. We're, we're going to be a float. Yeah. So to me, they're significant steps and they're milestones for a new church, especially a church like ours, a little church, just a few of us getting together each week, and we've enjoyed the blessings of God um, for, for the year. And we now feel, or I feel, that we're ready as a church to step forward and, and step a notch up, which means that uh, all of us will be stepping up. It's not just me and Vina stepping up. It's, it's the church itself, because you guys are the church. You know, if you guys weren't here, there's no church. But you guys actually are the church, and you're the founding members of the church. So you're significant, important people. Yeah. 
That's right. Well, well we're going to have one, so you're all going to be on it. <laughs> However, because we as a church will be believing God to enable us to step forward in this way, and we must be also be aware that Satan will be trying his darndest to stop it. He doesn't want this church to go forward. He doesn't want any true church to go forward. Uh, but what did Jesus say in Matthew 16, 18? He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So Jesus said he will build the church. And that's what I always trust in. That's Vina and I trusting in that. that. Okay, it's your church. You build it. If you want a door to open, he says, you know, doors are open, no one can shut. The doors are shut, no one can open. So, Lord, I'm just saying, if you open the door, we'll walk through it. If you shut the door, we won't go through it because we can't. I'm not going to bother trying to pry it open because he said the doors are shut, no one can open. So if we try to force something in God... It will just, it'll lead to a disaster. So in response to this, we have got to pray. And as a church, I'm pleading with you guys as a church, to please pray for this. Just put it up, put it as one of the things in your prayer on a daily basis. Just, Lord, help us to know your will. Help us to go forward in this and let the Holy Spirit pray through you and, and, and give us direction. Because we desperately need it. We don't claim to have all knowledge. And also pray that, the, that God will strengthen this church and accomplish all that this church is destined to achieve. Because there is a lot, I believe, that this church has to do on this planet. We have a purpose. There's a reason for us being a group as we are. And it's not just, you know, for our own benefit either. I believe it's for the benefit of a large group of people. And we've just got to, we've got to believe for it and start asking God, what is it? And it'll un, un, it will reveal itself with time. <clears throat> so you are this church. Each of you individually make up this church. Without you, there is no City East Church. Pray with all your heart that God blesses and oversees this move and that we move in his will, not our own. Pray also that God hold back Satan from destroying this church as well because he's, he's intent on doing that. Actually, it's one of his hobbies. So I believe this year is a year of prayer and faithfulness to God. Yeah? January. Just a little bit of information about January. The month of January is named after the Roman god Janus. Did you know that? Obviously where they get the word, the name Janus and Jane. Yeah. And that god was pictured as a man with two faces, one looking backward and the other one looking forward. So the New Year's Day provides a valuable time to ponder the past while also anticipating the present. That's where January comes from. It's, it's that turnaround point. I thought January came from the Greek word Yenari, which means born, ah. like Genesis. Is that right, to Vina? That's how you say um, January? Yenari. Yenari. Yeah. That makes sense. Yenari yeah. means the very beginning. Well, that's yeah. good. That's, that, Sorry, and that works right into it. No. Now, what was the word? Yanadi. And it means born. Works beautifully. I just got this out of a, um, a book of illustrations that gave me that point. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if they're both right. Well, they're both got. It's probably two. Like the Greeks for that Makes sense both ways. Mm. Well, yeah, the Greeks probably say they're. Yeah, the, I don't know what the Italians. Have you ever done the months? 
in, in, in Italian? It's Gennaro or... Yeah. Gennaro. Yeah. Oh, that's just Gennaro. Yeah. Anyway, we're... Uh, <laughs> Gennaro or something. Okay, so with every new year, we should take the time to reflect on and look back at the past year and thank God for what he has brought about as uh, in us and through us in that year. So that's an important point, isn't it? It's also a time to thank him for the blessings of uh, that year, as well as to honour him even in what would seem like things that haven't been so good, like curses that have come upon us through the year. You know, there's been things that have happened to all of us, hasn't there? And the reason why I say that is it's very important because a lot of people can sort of, um, you know, forget God and, and not honour him in those times. They can honour him and thank him for the good, but they won't honour him even though there were bad things present. And the reason why is uh, a scripture from Job is a classic in relation to this. Job 1, 21 to 22. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And in all this, Job did not sin with charging God with wrongdoing. So it's funny. There was all these things. Not funny. It was horrible. All these things happened to Job. A sequence of events, of destructive events that happened to his life. He lost his his herds, his flocks, his home, his children. Eventually, he lost even his health. But you know what they said he did after all of that? He fell on his knees and gave glory and praise to God. How awesome is that? You imagine, you just heard word, all your herds and flocks are dead. What? There's my livelihood. Your house has just been burnt to the the ground. What? There's your shelter. Your six children, I think it was, have all just been killed. And he fell to the ground and praised him and said that. Isn't that amazing? How many of you would think of falling to your knees and giving glory to God after losing everything? How, how many of you would have that sort of heart to say, the Lord gave and the Lord can take away? He has the right. In all this, it said, Job did not sin with charging God with wrongdoing. Look, Job was used as, as an example to all of us. Like When we think our lives are pretty bad, take a look at Job's life. And then guess what happened to Job? Because he wouldn't sin, Satan went and inflicted him with sores. Yeah. And he was covered in boils. And, and his, you know, then his friends came and sat with him and mocked him and said, how do you think, you know, just curse God and die, basically, his wife said to him. You know, and anyone would think that you are cursed by God. But he wasn't cursed by God. He was cursed by Satan. And God uh, sat back and just watched God, uh, watched Job and thought, okay, I'm going to see how this guy reacts in this situation in life. And um, it turned around that uh, Job was completely restored to his past fortune. He had more children, uh, even though that doesn't take away the pain of losing children. If anyone has lost a child, we haven't, thank God. But they say that the pain of losing a child, having a new child doesn't replace the pain of losing a child. But at least you have more children, you can refocus, you know. So that to me is, that's amazing. No matter what happened in the past year and what will happen in the future, just remember Job and fall on your knees and praise him who holds your life in his hands. Fall on your knees, praise him for no matter what happens in our lives, give him the glory. In the Song of Moses, Moses sings in Exodus 15 too, I think Vina pinched this 
scripture this morning. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. And that's, that's our attitude. You know, all of the Old Testament prophets, they just praised him. And, and some of them had the most dreadful lives, but they always gave him glory. And that's, that's who Jesus wants in the kingdom. You know, the, the Old Testament and the New Testament were called tests. They were testing us. God tested and refined his people in suffering. That's where you're refined. They say you don't learn much in prosperity. You learn more in suffering than you do from the good times in life. The good times in life sort of seem like a vague, distant memory when you're suffering. And when you get into the future, you look back on your suffering, it doesn't seem like a vague, distant memory. It's You remember it. And you remember the lessons you learned, the obedience you showed to God and and your faithfulness in, to God. And, and you, you know, you... If you've ever accused God of wrongdoing, you've got to repent and, you know, get right before God and then learn from that and think, next time I suffer in a similar situation, I'm not going to think like that. I'm going to approach it with grace. You know, look at Jesus. He didn't cry out any, any accusations against any of his enemies when they hung him on the cross. Could you imagine the pain? You know, does pain make you angry? When you hurt yourself, does it? Sometimes it does, doesn't it? And if someone comes up and smashes you in the nose, does it make you angry? Turn your other nose. <laughs> <laughs> your other one. Well, now I've got two, so you can have your shot. Yeah. Uh, but it does. It makes you angry, right? Now, as Christians, are we supposed to let it? You know, And I know I'm first one to sin in this. These things, you know, um, things that don't go your way in life, they tend to make you angry, don't they? But the grace of Christ in us should overshadow that. And we should have that grace. So, new direction. With the beginning of every new year comes new direction. A new start. A sense that you can have another go at life and do it better this time. Is that true? Do you get that feeling? Yeah. I've always been a bit of a goal man. I love goals and goal setting and writing what I want to do and having books just dedicated to that. You know, and laying it all out and having like seven or eight pages of things I'm going to achieve in life and then sitting back going, man, how am I going to do all that? You know, but I don't know, I just get excited about reevaluating things. A new year usually brings with it a hope for improvement, um, an optimism, a time of reflection. It's always, you always look to this year as in a good way, don't you? You want the best for you next year in the new year. And that's, as Christians, that's the correct way. We, we shouldn't want to suffer we shouldn't want bad things to happen we should just want the right things to happen so i believe this new year is significant to us all and also to this church and we can set new goals reach for new heights aim to achieve more and succeed in our ambitions and things but make sure that they're of course godly ambitions not self-centered ambitions and i believe that uh we should look at this new year as a christian new year I believe we should see it as an opportunity to develop our relationships with God to a higher level. Is that right? How many of you could say that you've, you know, you've achieved all you can achieve in, in God and in prayer? How many of you could say there's room for improvement? It should be a time to set new goals to grow in the things of God. It should be time for setting goals in relation to Bible reading and, and Christian book reading. I remember thinking uh, I wanted to read a book every single year last year, a Christian book every sorry every year, a Christian book every week, 
and I worked out that if I divided the chapters by seven days, I'd work out I have to read so many chapters per day to read a book in a week. Then I realised that some books are thick and some books are thin, so it doesn't sort of balance out too well. Um, but overall, you could get through a lot of reading and you could get a few books read if you make it a goal, something that you want to achieve. And we got through it in a year, yeah. <laughs> Nearly there. <laughs> and so in that these are the sort of things that you should be looking at, at thinking about. And I don't know how many of you have already set news resolutions. Guys, where's the news resolutions for this year? In past years you would have thrown your hand up, wouldn't you? Anyway. Maybe these goals could even be like getting involved in ministry work uh, or missionary work. Could even be putting forward ideas to this church for ministries that this church could function in. Because remember, when we start a new church, we don't have ministries at the moment. We don't have a women's ministry. We don't have a, an outreach ministry or a food ministry for the homeless. Or We don't have ministries. And if you, you go to some of these large churches, you will see that they might have anywhere from 10 to 20 or more ministries that they function out of the church and the people of the church function them. It's not so much the pastor doing them all. Um, different people take on different responsibilities. So our church, as we grow, we're going to want to have these outreaches. The new year is the perfect time to do something new, to step out of your comfort zone, to reach out to a lost and hurting world for Christ and to make a difference. You know, I just just after reading a bit of this book, I thought, Man, if there was a group of Christians, if there was like even five or ten Christians that would want to sit down once a week and really start to work on how best to approach this world for Christ, the right ways of saying things, and then actually be an active ministry going out regularly. Um, I saw a video with Mark Derisic a few, oh, quite a few months ago now, and he showed a video of a church where the youth of the church just are so full on for Christ. You should see these guys. You, the passion for Christ is incredible in them. And they would go out every single uh, weekend. Like their youth service was to get out on the road and start to go out into the streets and talk to people about Jesus. And they saw so many people coming to salvation just by they'd go to church, they'd spend an hour, they'd pray and worship, and they'd pray for God's anointing to be on them. And they'd say, Lord, lead us in the right direction. Then they'd all go off. And of course, weekly doing this, making this their objective, they saw so many people come to salvation. So many people receive Jesus as Lord. And they were walking in the commission, which also obviously would lead to an overflow where you would be walking along the street by yourself and you'd see someone and you'd feel this nudge, come on, you go over there and just speak to them. You know? And you don't have to be a Bible basher to talk to someone about Jesus. You just have to care enough for their soul. And I'm going to get to that. Reconciliation. It's also a time of reconciliation. A time to make contact with people that we may have hurt. Make amends. Friends, family, from the things that have happened in the past. You know, that you've always maybe felt guilty about. About breaking friendships and stuff like that. But it's also time to make choices about who you should actually associate with as well. So we've got to make... Remember past associations that you might not feel quite right about and want to go and amend those. And, you know, it's a humbling experience to do that. And I've, I've done it. 
makes you feel better. But it's also a time to actually think carefully about associations. Some of us have friendships which are very negative. You know, we continue to tolerate bad behaviour, but know that their influence, is, their influence is stronger on us than ours is on them. When you have relationships with people whose influence on you is far outweighs your influence on them, and they can be extremely negative and with a terrible tongue, and they never want to hear a thing about Jesus from you. And um, you know, you got to consider not necessarily cutting ties, just pulling back from friendships with those sorts of people, and increasing time in positive friendships. Or at least with people, look, I, I wouldn't care if, if, I, if I knew a guy who was the most sinful man in the world, yet if I was to spend time with him and my influence on him was greater than his is on me, I would spend time with that guy. If I knew that every time I sat with him, he would just shut his mouth and listen, yeah, I would spend time with him. But I would not spend time with that man if I go there and he's just carrying on, let's drink and smoke and la, la, la. And I had to sit there and just bear it. Why? You know, that's not what we're called to. We're called to reach out to a lost and hurting world, but we're not called to get sucked in to that lost and hurting world and become lost with them. You know, so over, over my life, there's been um, relationships which I saw that my influence wasn't as strong is their influence on me and I've had to cut cut back the time I've spent with certain people and it's a wise thing to do also prayer we in a new year should be uh, bring determination to improve on whatever good habits we've developed in the past year so I know all of you have had developed your prayer lives last year so I know we've seen uh, examples of that but I'm pretty sure and I'm not deluded <laughs> when I say that all of you could improve on your prayer lives. Is that true? We could, we could and I'm, I'm one that I know I could improve a hundredfold on my prayer life. John Berridge said, all decays, decaying meaning breakdowns, and all decays begin in the prayer closet. No heart thrives without much secret converse with God, and nothing will make amends for the want of it, for the need of it. If you don't spend time there, nothing will amend that time that you lost. And all decays in Christianity begin in the prayer closet. And I've seen that myself. When my Christianity has really gone off the boil, it's because my prayer life has gone off the boil. Fenelon said, Of all the duties enjoined by Christian Christianity, none is more essential and yet more neglected than prayer. John of the Cross said, he that flees from prayer flees from all that is good. When we race out of the prayer room, we're running from probably the best thing that we could do for ourselves in that day. Moody said, next, next to the wonder of seeing my Saviour, meaning at judgment and, and eternal life, I think the wonder that I made so little use of, the power of prayer. So what he's saying is, when he gets before Jesus, it will be the glory of Jesus will be overwhelming, and then the 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 knowing of how much time that he didn't spend in prayer will also overwhelm him. He will realize only then that he wasted a huge portion of his life by not praying. And Tory said, 
If we are too busy to pray, we are too busy to have power. We have a great deal of activity, but we accomplish little. Many services, but few conversions. Much machinery, but few results. Much machinery meaning all of this, you know, but few results. And all because of too little prayer. The other thing is reaching the lost. The ultimate aim, other than prayer and reaching God, is to reach the lost for Christ. Many of us don't care to reach the lost, mainly because it requires a deep love for the souls of men. And most of us don't have that kind of love. And I'll, I'll put my hand up for that as well. There's been times where I've felt so cold in my heart that I can't even offer a prayer for the souls of men. And it, it worries me. But this is why I like what Tori had to say about this. And this came out of that same book, out of this one. Tori said, but how does one acquire a love for souls? Tori tells us, like every other grace of Christian character, a love for souls is the work of the Holy Spirit. If we are conscious that we do not have the love for souls that we should have, the first thing to do is to go to God humbly and confess this lack in, in our lives. If you don't have that love, ask, say, God, help me with this. When we ask God for this love, expect it, as the Word of God says. Uh, in John 1 John 5.14, it said, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of Him. Always, though, we have to line that up with other scriptures where it says, in accordance with His will. So Tori tells us that once we pray, that feelings can be developed and that they are the outcome of our thoughts. And this is how. He says, if we desire any given feeling to develop in our lives, we should dwell on thoughts that produce that feeling. If any saved person will concentrate long enough on the peril and misery of any man separated from Christ, he will realize the worth of his soul in God's sight because of the death of God's Son to save him. An intense desire for that man's salvation is almost certain to follow. And I'll tell you something, you know, before I led you to Jesus, before I brought you to Jesus, do you know what I was reading a lot about at that time? And it made me speak to a load of people. I was reading a lot of accounts of hell. And I started to get burdened heavily for the souls of men. When you know what is going to happen to men who reject Christ, when you've read about it, researched it, and Jesus tells us, Jesus spoke more about hell than heaven. Why? Well, this is the reason he came, was to save men from hell. He, yeah, of course he came to bring, take men to heaven, but he also, the main thing was he didn't want people going to hell. And he knew that his father was an, is an exact God, meaning God won't allow an unrepentant soul into the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because he would be a farce as a God. If God allowed a sinner in just because he felt sorry for him, who hasn't repented, hasn't come to him on his terms, would you expect any less from a human judge? Actually, you'd ex the human judge is much harsher than God. God will forgive someone of murder and give them eternal life if they repent. Would a human judge? Would someone in the world, would an atheist who says God's so hard, how can God be so hard a God that he allows this world to be like this? No, God's a gracious God. If you repent and you're a murderer, he'll forgive you if you repent with all your heart. Would a human judge? No. No. If you go into a court of law, 
if you go into a court of law and you've, you're, you're convicted of murder and they know you did it, they've got video footage of you doing it, <laughs> and you went in and said, I repent to the guy, please, I'm sincere, I'm sincere, look at me, I'm sincere. That wouldn't make a difference at all. Zero difference. But to God it does. So how gracious is our God? More gracious than any human. He can do what we can't do, and that's one of them. For us, you imagine if you'd lost a child, that child was murdered, and then the murderer came up to you and repented. How would you feel towards that murderer? Would you then allow him into your house to live with you? Well, God does. God does that. That's how gracious God is. He'll allow that man to come and live in heaven if he fully repents. God knows the heart. But even if the human judge did, law itself will not tolerate it. The law of this world won't tolerate it. Even if the human judge felt, yeah, I feel he's sincere, he still will not tolerate that. Yeah, but you know the law won't look at human heart. It's got no room. It's heart, cold and... Yeah, because the judge can't know totally. Well, everyone would be crying injustice if the man got off scot-free. You had him. You've got video footage. He's, yeah. he, and you let him go. The judge is not God. The yeah. judge is not God. And the, the thing is, it shows how gracious God is. If God judged us according to our sins, none of us would get into the kingdom of heaven. But because of the blood of Christ alone, we have salvation. And therefore, none of us can get into heaven and boast about how good we are. You imagine if people were getting into heaven because of how good they are. Muhammad walks into heaven, I'm good. They'll corrupt the whole place. The whole place would be corrupted. Suddenly it's not about Jesus, it's about how good Muhammad was. Hey, he's such a good guy. You know what I mean? No, it's according it's because of Jesus and Jesus alone that we get into heaven. And that's the way it has to be because there is not a single soul on this earth that hasn't sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I'm nearly there. And look at the time. Resolutions. If you haven't made any yet, resolutions, I encourage you to write down a few. You know, make it a time to reflect and and resolve to do some, make some changes and, and corrections in your in different things and aspects of your life. It's a perfect time. And then, not only that, get started on it immediately. Use it to, as an opportunity to launch into it. You know, if you say, I'm going to pray morning and night, get into it. Get up in the morning and start praying. If I'm going to read the Bible in the morning and night, do that. Just go through with it. And um, goals are amazing. And God, God is a God of goals. You know, if you look at every Christian's life and every Old Testament prophet's life, he had goals for those prophets. And the New Testament Christianity, he's had goals for every man and woman of God has ever walked on the planet. And by setting goals by the Holy Spirit after prayer, we can actually walk in what God's called us to. So in closing, Matthew Henry, he loves Matthew Henry. He's got the Matthew Henry commentary, big chunky thing. It's like a... It's like a brick, big Besser block brick. Matthew Henry, the famous Bible commentator, wrote the following resolution in his journal on January the 1st, 1705. Now remember, it's 1705, so the English is a bit older. 
not renouncing but repeating and ratifying all my for former covenants with God and lamenting that I have not lived up more closely to them. He lamented that he hadn't lived up. Lament means he was sad about. Uh, he hadn't lived up to his the things that he's already said to God that he wanted to do for God, his covenants that he made with him. And I do this in the beginning of this new year, solemnly uh, making a fresh surrender of myself, my whole self, my body, my soul and spirit to God the Father, Son and Holy Ghost, my Creator, my Redeemer and Sanctifier, covenanting and promising, not in any strength of my own, for I am weak, but in the strength of the grace of Jesus Christ, that I will endeavour this year to stand complete in all the will of God. I know this is the will of God, even my sanctification. Lord, grant this year may I may, that I may be more holy and walk more closely than ever in all holy conversations. I earnestly desire to be filled with thy holy thoughts, to be carried out in holy affections, determined by holy aims and intentions, and govern in all my words and action by holy principles. Oh, that a golden thread of holiness may run through the whole web of this year. Isn't that amazing? That is one incredible prayer and uh, New Year's resolution. So I'll just quickly go back to our text, which is uh, Romans 6.4. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. This, this new life which is promised us is one lived in Christ, with Christ as the centre and the hub of all that we do. If you think of a bicycle hub, it's the centre bit and the spokes come off it. It's the centre and the wheel rotates from that. Christ calls us to take up our cross and follow him just as he took up his cross and died for us. The Christian life is a complete life, a total package. Is that right? Yes. The true Christian life is not to be treated like a Sunday morning hobby uh, or a good time club, a place to be, or even a good thing that we feel obligated to do. No, the true Christian life should be the reason we live, the reason we breathe, the reason we have our being. It is the whole life of a man, the real life. Discovering Christ in this, in this way is the reason for existence. Realizing this reason gives us one main aim in life, and that is to please our Lord and give him pleasure. Is that right? That should be our primary goal this year. Let's please God. Let's put a smile on God's face this year. Can we do that? So let's reflect now and as we uh, take off the Holy Communion and just take and remember what he did for us on the cross. So where is that? It's over there, Tessie. Right, thank you, Lord. We just uh, take of this communion today and, and we reflect on just what you did for us, Lord, on the cross and, and the wonderful life that you've given us and the wonderful promises that you've given us also, Lord, it, not only in this life but also in the life to come. And we know, Lord, that you are the only way into the kingdom of heaven. It's not by our works. Uh, our works are like filthy rags before you, Lord. All the good things that we do, 
all the humanitarian things that we can do will not give us access into the kingdom of God. It is by your blood and your blood alone. It is by what you did for us on the cross that we have salvation. And so, Lord, in reflecting on that and in honouring of that, we take of this bread in remembrance of your body that was broken for us on the cross. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, we take of this cup in remembrance of your blood that was shed for us. And uh, Lord, it's so special, so wonderful what you did for us there. And Lord, the the uh, how torturous it was and everything that you go through, the gruesome account, Lord, leaves us breathless, Lord, that you could do that for us. God in the flesh. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you.